Okay. Hey, uh, glad you're here. Welcome to all of you over in the venue, and glad you're with us. Thanks, Pastor uh, Jared, for leading things over there, and Brandon, and uh, welcome to all of you that are watching online right now. Uh, okay, if you have your Bibles, put them up in the air. Come on, let me see the word. Put it up, 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 put it up. Come on, come on. A lot of Bibles out there, yeah, a lot of smartphones. Um, <laughs> Uh, here's the deal. If you got the word on your smartphone, that's good. Praise the Lord for that. But uh, if your phone's on and you have your Bible, why don't you turn it off? Because here's the deal. Once it vibrates or something happens, it'll take you out of this moment. All of a sudden, that one half second has now got you worried about what text came in, what email came in. Just put it away. And in, uh, you know, 30, 40 minutes, you'll be able to go outside and, you know, ch check all that out. Well, um, we're a church that uh, believes in the, the Bible, the, the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible. If you're visiting with us, I did a whole series on that. And if you believe in the Bible, the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible, it means you got to believe in the gospel, the whole gospel, and nothing but the gospel, which also means you got to believe in the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And that's with a capital T, the truth of the, the Word of God. And so we wanna make sure that you have the Word of God in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, you can go into the altar room here or over in the venue or just stop by the church Monday and, and we'd love to put one in your hands. But if you don't have a Bible today, all of the verses will be inside your, your program. Most of them will anyway or they'll come up on the jumbotrons. They'll even come up on your uh, screens at, at home uh, as you watch on the computer or TV or whatever. Uh, if you have a Bible, turn it to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, okay? We're in a series here where we're walking through the book of Romans together, and each week we have what we're calling a not ashamed video. Paul, who was the writer of the book of Romans, said this in chapter one in verse 16. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And the gospel, the good news, is Jesus. You want to boil down what is the gospel, what is the good news, it's Jesus. Jesus is the good news. So ever since Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered the world, God promised to send a Savior. He promised to send a Messiah. He promised to send the gospel, the good news. And you finally get to those first four books of the New Testament and we read that today in the town of David, the Savior has been born, the Messiah has been born, the gospel has been born, the good news has been born. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentiles. And that doesn't mean that all the Jews have to get first and then us Gentiles are next. It just simply means that that was kind of the order of things. Jesus was born uh, and was you know, first reaching Jewish people and then it moved on to us Gentiles. Well, each weekend here we have a testimony from one of our own you know, people that goes right along with this thought so let's look at this week's Not Ashamed video.
I was offered an opportunity to promote within my company and take a job in Fresno, California. I didn't know Christ at that point in time, and we moved down to uh, Fresno, and my wife and I had the opportunity to buy a brand new home at the end of a cul-de-sac, and it was really our dream home, and at that point, I was certainly in full world mode. I wanted nicer cars, um, nicer things. I ended up you know, drinking and spending time at bars and going to really nice dinners and buying expensive bottles of wine and uh, just uh, really living it up, so to speak, at my company's expense. Uh, we would spend uh, time in this, this new development uh, doing uh, family barbecues, uh, neighborhood block parties. We started taking notice of uh, our neighbor friend, John Mark, and uh, we just noticed he was really different. Uh, he had this uh, peace about himself. He seemed uh, very content, thankful for what he had. It was just different. And come to find out, uh, we both were uh, diehard USC football fans. And we had the opportunity to go down to a USC football game. Uh, we piled in the car and we're about half an hour into our drive to LA. Uh, he asked me, Jamie, when your kids grow up, what do you want them to be? I thought, man, this is easy, I got this. I want them to be successful and uh, to make you know, a, a decent wage to where they don't have all the concerns that other people have. And he said, you know, Jamie, I just want my kids to love Jesus. And that was it. I mean, he stopped there. And uh, I was like, my first thought was, A, you should have gone first. <laughs> I was like, wow. And, and B, it was like, oh my gosh, we're a half hour into a three and a half hour drive and, and this guy's talking about Jesus and, and I've got nowhere to go. So I started asking him questions like, John Moore, why do, you, why do you think the way you do? Is God really the creator of everything? You know, and the last question that I asked him was, you know, John Mark, why, why do I need Jesus? I'm a good guy, you know, I have a good career, and uh, he just continued to encourage me through sharing the gospel of, you know, really why I needed Jesus. And thankfully, John Mark just kept investing in me, uh, being there every step of the way as we were going to church. And finally, there was just that, that moment where I said, you know, I can't do this anymore. You know, seeking all these other things that uh, had been, you know, tearing me apart for as long as it did. And I just asked the Lord, Jesus, please take this away from me. I want peace. I want to be content. My life just changed completely. At five o'clock, uh, I wasn't calling that buddy to see where we wanted to go have a beer and so forth. I was thinking about, man, I can't wait to get home. Those Saturday morning golf outings, they changed into daddy donut days. I take the kids to Mr. T's, we pick up some donuts and we come back and you know that's when we do our family devotion. It's just been a really special you know, blessing that God has given me to uh, change me from what I was uh, to what I am now. I was afraid of the crazy Christian and now I am the crazy Christian. And, uh, you know, I'm just super thankful uh, for a neighbor who was not ashamed of sharing the gospel with me. My name is Jamie Thompson and I'm not ashamed of the gospel. As I said last week, it's fun to see these videos because I, I see Jamie and his wife and family right down here at the 11 o'clock hour each week. 
And uh, it's neat to hear how the gospel has impacted people's lives. And I told you last week, if you have a story or you know of a story that you think would, you know, translate well to a video like this, just let us know. And we'd love to capture it and hear how somebody wasn't afraid of the gospel in your life or a moment when you weren't afraid to share the, the, the gospel or whatever. Who knows, maybe over the next year and a half, you'll end up as one of the, the, the videos. J Jamie asks a great question. He asked John Mark, well, why do I need Jesus? Why do I need the gospel? And that's, that's a great question, right? I mean, I, I'm not a murderer. I got a good job. I pay my taxes. I, I'm not stealing stuff. I'm not an adulterer. Come on. Why do I need Jesus? Why do I need the gospel? Why do I need the power that a relationship with Jesus brings? Why do I need that? And that's a, a great question that every believer needs to answer. And one of the things about the book of Romans, if you'll notice on your notes, it says part one. And then we put there the problem or the dilemma. And what you see in the first three chapters of Romans is Paul is the great prosecuting attorney. And who's on trial is you. Mankind, humanity. And in the first three chapters, all Paul does is he's laying out the case that all of us are doomed. He's gonna take little groups of people and he's just gonna keep hammering home the, the idea that we as human beings are lost because of our sin. In fact, it crescendos in Romans 3.23 where Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then things are gonna shift. But we're still in Romans chapter one. We're still a part of hearing Paul's argument that all of us are, are goofed up. I spent the entire time last weekend talking about the wrath of God Fun topic. <laughs> the fact that God is angry right now with people. It's a theological truth that God is angry right now. Paul said in verse 18, the wrath of God is, present tense, being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Jesus himself said this in John chapter three, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the son will not see life. Why? For God's wrath remains on him. All Paul is doing is echoing the words of Jesus himself. He just puts it in different language. Jesus loved people, there's no doubt about it. He loved them so much that he told them the truth about life. The truth that God is angry. He's so angry that his wrath is upon them. Listen, things aren't okay with human beings and God. 
That's what Paul's trying to get at in these first three chapters. Everything's not okay. You might have a good job. You might coach your kid's soccer team. Maybe you've never committed murder, never robbed a bank, haven't, you know, cheated on your spouse. You're a good dad. You put a roof over the head of your family, you know. You, you got food on the table. You, 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 you teach the Cub Scout group. That all may be true, but don't think that somehow that makes you right with God. And that's what the first three chapters of Romans is all about. It's talking about how we're all doomed before God. Now, it's not a, you know, the most fun topic to talk about, but it's an important one. Because if a person doesn't understand the fury of God's wrath, they'll never understand how great their need is for a savior. Jamie's story, well, why do I need Jesus? Why do I need the gospel? I got a good gig going here. In other words, it's hard to appreciate God's forgiveness if you don't know anything about the consequences that sin brings. Now, last week, I ended with these three thoughts. Number one, people suppress the truth about God. When this was written about 2,000 years ago to this church in Rome, Paul says, look, Christians, God has made himself known to everybody through what has been made. And yet, people suppress that truth. When you, when you look at creation, you can't miss the fact that there's a God. His, his fingerprints are everywhere. Nobody's ever gonna be able to stand before God and say, man, I just didn't know. How, do, how was I supposed to know there was a God? Well, all you had to do is go look up on a dark night. You could see that there was a creator. No one will be without an excuse. But people suppress or they hold down the, the obvious truth about God's existence. And when you suppress the truth long enough, you eventually get to the point where, and this was number two, you just reject the truth about God. You go from suppressing the obvious to flat out denying the obvious which then ultimately leads to number three, and that is people then replace the truth about God. You see, it's pretty hard to deny the existence of God forever, so what people do is they make up or they create their own gods, but when people do that, they just create a God that will tolerate their sin. So there has to be a God, I know there has to be a God, but I don't wanna know the one true living God. You suppress that truth, you reject it, and then you just go, okay, there's gotta be one, so I'll just create a God, I'll just create a, a religion, I'll just create a church that is okay with my sin. And because of all these things and a whole lot more, the Bible tells us that God is angry. He's very angry. And when a person does this, when they repress, reject, and ultimately replace God with something else, there's a, a huge price to be paid. 
a huge price to be paid as individuals, and we as individuals, we make up a culture, don't we? We're individuals of the United States of America. It has implications for us as Americans, because Americans are just individual people. And in our text today, Paul tells us what that price is. He tells us what happens when a person or a society or a civilization makes the choice to live apart from God. When a, a group of people suppress the truth, reject the truth, and then just flat out replace it with something else. This is what was happening in Rome at the time, keep it in its context. But I think you'll see some correlations to our culture today, 2,000 years after this letter was written. So with this said, let's read our text. Okay, Romans chapter 1, look at verse 24. The Holy Spirit fills our brother Paul. And these are the words that God wanted the people of Rome the Christians at Rome, to understand about their culture. But obviously there's implications for us today. He says, therefore, because people have repressed the truth about God, and because they've rejected the truth about God, and because they've ultimately replaced God with something else, God gave them over and the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Man, aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> Three times, Paul says, God gave them over. Verse 24, God gave them over to sinful desires of their heart because they've suppressed the truth and rejected it and replaced it. 
He gave them over to sinful desires. Verse 26 says, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And in verse 28, it says, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Now, what does this mean, though? What does it mean that God gave them over? Well, first, let me tell you what it doesn't mean, okay? It doesn't mean that God quits loving them. It doesn't mean that these people can't be saved. It doesn't mean that there's no hope for these people. And it's very important that you understand this. This side of glory, there's always hope. This side of glory, anybody can repent of their sin. And I think the story of the prodigal son is a good illustration of this fact. The prodigal son came to his dad one day and said, Dad, I don't want to live with you anymore. I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. I don't want to live my life the way you want me to live it. I don't want to live by your rules. Dad, I want to live the way I want to live. I want to do life the way I want to do it. By the way, give me my inheritance. And what did the dad do? He does it, doesn't he? He allows his son to leave. He gave his son over to whatever he wanted. He gives his son over to a lifestyle that he knows is gonna ruin his life. And immediately this young man goes out and starts living it up. It's party time. The son comes to dad and says, Dad, I, I, I want to do life my own way. And even though dad knows this is going to be a horrible thing for him, he says, okay, son, if that's what you really want, go for it. And the son goes out, and man, he has a great time. He's, he's fulfilling every desire of his flesh. He's living however he wants to live. Forget what his dad thinks about life. A lot of us can relate to that. We, we've been there. I've been there before I gave my life to Christ. It's a pretty good gig. Fulfilling every desire that you have. Living the way you want to live. Doing whatever it is you want to do. Woo! It's a pretty good way to live. Be straight up with you. This kid was having a great time. He was thinking that everybody else back at home was crazy. You're nuts. You think I'm nuts. You're the one that's nuts. Living by dad's rules. Doing what dad thinks. Dad's nuts. Dad's crazy, man. I got my inheritance and I'm having a great time. Until he runs out of money. And in the story, all of his friends kind of bail on him. He ends up basically living in a pig pen, eating pig slop. Man, it's easy 
to envy people who just basically bucked the system. Had to break his father's heart knowing what was going on with his son. Well, finally, this boy hits rock bottom. And the Bible says this in Luke chapter 15. It's the most important sentence in the whole story of the prodigal son. It says in verse 17, when he, that's the prodigal son, finally came to his senses. That's a good moment. I remember when I came to my senses. (laughs) Remember that moment? You're out doing whatever it is you want to do with your life. Living however you want to live. Maybe you hit rock bottom like this boy. Maybe you weren't at the bottom of the barrel. You had to lift the barrel up and there you were under it. Remember that moment? And you finally came to your senses. In other words, this young boy recognized that he had made a huge mistake. He recognized his sin. So he makes a decision to go back home And when he gets to the driveway of dad's house, what does dad do? Hey, you loser! I gave you everything you ever wanted, then you took my inheritance, you know, everything I've made, and you went out and squandered it. Don't you come back up here, man. You're not welcome back up here in my house. No. Because in the story, the father represents our heavenly father. And when this boy came to his senses, The father said, come, son. You used to be lost, but now you're found. Kill the fatted calf. We're having a party. I gave him over to what he wanted. But now he's come to his senses, and he's come home. See, here's the deal. If you want to blow God off and live apart from him, you know what's kind of weird? He'll let you do it. You want to go out and fulfill all the desires of your flesh, have sex with all the women in the world or men in the world. You want to put needles in your arm and shoot yourself up with drugs. You want to snort coke. You, you, you want to, you really want, if that's what you really want, the weird thing about God is he says at some moment, go for it. I'll give you over to it. If that's what you really want, go for it. And here in Rome, boy, the culture was crazy. And so God says, hey, here's what what I've done. Just giving them what they want. Just giving them what they want. He'll let you make a mess of your life. If that's what you want. I can't tell you how many times people have come into my office and said, hey, uh, Pastor Rick, I'm just angry with God. Well, why are you angry with God? I just can't believe that God would allow my son to go out and do whatever he's doing. You know, he's living some crazy lifestyle. And I think, what are you talking about? You're angry at God? That's what your boy wanted. That's what your husband wanted. That's what your wife wanted. That's, that's what your parents wanted. Don't blame it on God. Don't put the monkey on God's back. That's what they wanted. And they wanted it so bad that God just said, okay, if that's what you want, go for it. 
God didn't make us robots. You, you can choose to do whatever you want to with your life. And if that's what you want to do, even though God knows it's going to destroy your life, there comes a moment when he just says, okay, go. But you will reap what you sow. There, there comes a moment when you'll reap what you sow. Now, in this passage that we just read, Paul gives us three ugly, I mean, really ugly results of making the choice to live apart from God. When you as an individual or a society makes the choice to, to suppress the truth, reject the truth, replace the truth, there are consequences for that. And this was certainly the case in Rome at the time. And, and this pastor's humble opinion, it's America today, unfortunately. Number one, God allows sexual immorality to grow. In verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. You suppress the truth, you reject the truth, you replace the truth, this ultimately is what's gonna happen. In the next few verses, Paul begins to describe the downhill slide that mankind is in. He makes it crystal clear, especially over the next three chapters, that man is bad. In fact, he's very bad. Now, some are worse than others. But Paul, as I said, is building a case. He's letting us all know that we stand guilty before him. And here's the deal, there's, there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves better. We're, we're slaves to sin. And the hideous thing about sin is that when you sin, it actually stirs up more sin, which then stirs up more sin, which then stirs up more sin. It's, it's literally a, a, an endless demonic cycle. Once you start sinning, it's just more sin, more sin, because it's, it, it's now in control. Sin looks good, it tastes good, feels good. Sin is so attractive and has a way of satisfying the human flesh and the urges of man like nothing else. It satisfies so much that man is naturally attracted to it. Isn't that the truth? And by continuing to sin, he becomes a slave to it. He literally becomes an addict. He's an addict to sin. And I see it all the time. I deal with people who literally are addicts to sin. Then you can just add whatever the sin is you want, whatever it is. How many of you have a, 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 a garden? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. A lot of you. I got a garden too. What happens when you leave a garden unattended for a period of time? One word, weeds, right? Weeds, something weird about weeds. We're in a drought, everything's dead, but my weeds. It's like they don't even need water. 
I got some weeds that like it when I squirt Roundup on them. <laughs> and they, they grow. It's weird. It's like, what? The weird thing about weeds is they grow no matter what. You got to work really hard, man, to keep your weeds out of your garden. And the reason why you have to work hard at it, there's a, there's a point. Because they choke out the good plants. Well, life is much like a garden. The weeds, sin, actually choke out the good. And the difference between you and a garden is that you can work real hard to keep the weeds out of your garden, but you don't have the power to do anything about the weeds in your own life, the sin in your own life. You're powerless to keep your life clean of weeds, of sin. That's why we need the gospel. That's why we need Jesus, because he has the power to deal with the weeds in your life. You don't have the power to do it. He, he's the roundup for the weeds of our life. You can't do it. And like a garden that's unattended, sin will spread like wildfire throughout your life, won't it, if you don't deal with it? And ultimately, you'll get to the point where you're so deceived, you'll actually start to like the weeds in your life. I know people who love the sin in their life. They love it. That's how deceived they are. In fact, not only do they love the Weeds in their life, the sin in their life, they want more of it. I want more weeds. I want more sin. Beloved, the major message of this section of scripture, these first three chapters, is that if you make the choice to reject God, you, you suppress the truth, you reject the truth, you replace the truth, he'll give you over to the weeds. That's what you want, go. He'll let the weeds just grow wild in your life. He'll allow sin to rule your life, and like weeds, all sin does is destroy. I've told you this many times. It destroys personal relationships, and you can all say amen to that. It destroys marriages. Some of you have experienced that on multiple occasions. It destroys families. It destroys churches, it destroys cities, it destroys nations, it destroys civilizations. Sin does. And for some of you, your sin is destroying you right now. And you don't know it. Some of you know it, but many of you don't even know it. It's destroying your hope and your mind and your will. It destroys your, your values, it's destroying your future. This is the legacy of those who make the decision to blow God off and exchange the truth of God for a lie. God just lets the weeds go wild. Just as God has made himself known through all that he has created, God has also made sure that you can't miss him and his wrath when you see the consequences of sin. Now here's something that I think is interesting. Maybe you'll agree, I don't know. Though unbelievers don't care about God, 
They suppressed the truth about God. They've rejected the truth about God. They've replaced the truth about God. They don't care about God. They don't care about his laws. They do care desperately about the effects of sin. That they care about. They do care about the pain or the consequences that sin brings. In fact, they work really hard to reduce or even eliminate the heartache that sin brings with it. Let me illustrate. God's word is clear as it relates to sex. It's a wonderful thing that is to be enjoyed between a married couple, a man and a woman. It's an unbelievable thing. The Bible talks a lot about it. Anybody who says that you Christians are prudes when it comes to sex has never had a conversation with me. Sex is great. Woo! Yay for sex! How do you like that? God created, it's unbelievable when it's between a man and a woman who have entered into a covenantal relationship. Okay, it's a beautiful thing, beautiful thing. But when you reject God and his word, you suppress the truth, you reject it, and you replace it with some other thinking or whatever, and you engage in sexual activity outside of marriage, there's a good chance that you're gonna get one of many sexually transmitted diseases that are out there. It happens all the time. Then there's a good chance that maybe you'll pass that disease on to your spouse which probably will then lead to a divorce and a messed up family, or maybe you'll become pregnant if you're the gal. Now, instead of living according to God's rules and therefore not having to worry about the consequences of sin or having to worry about getting any of those diseases or creating a life that's unwanted, people would just rather sin they like the sin. They don't care about God. They don't care about God's standards. They, they, they only care about how do, you, how, how, how do I treat the gonorrhea? How do I treat the herpes? And they're rooting for the pharmaceutical companies. Come on, come on. Make new drugs that will deal with the consequences of my sin. Because now we've got strains of gonorrhea that, you know, all of these pills don't work on anymore. And so please, please come up with something that will deal with the consequences of sin because I'm not going to stop sinning. I just want to figure out how I can reduce the impact of it on my life. Because they're certainly not going to obey God's word, you do that, you don't have to worry about pharmaceutical companies coming up with new ways to treat sexually transmitted diseases, do you? All this to say, people work really hard to remove the consequences of their immorality. They want immorality. They like immorality. In fact, they love immorality. They just don't like the stuff that goes along with it. It's a pesky thing, the consequences of sin. 
So people go to counseling to rid themselves of the guilt that immorality brings, or they turn to narcotics to numb the consequences of their sin, or they keep themselves really busy at work, or they travel all the time to keep themselves from thinking about their sin, or they keep their medicine cabinet full of antibiotics to kill the venereal diseases that come along with their sin. The most tragic of all, if their sin leads to the creation of a life in America, you just go down to a local abortion clinic, suck it into a sink. why the world's working really hard. We've got to make sure we keep those abortion clinics here because people are going to keep sinning. They're going to keep living outside of God because they have suppressed the truth, they've rejected it, and they've replaced it, but they're going to keep sinning. And we know that one of the consequences is a life. I don't want that life. I just like having you in bed. I just like fulfilling the desires of my flesh. You got a baby? I'll just go down to 2020, you know, Coffee Road. I'll just deal with it. People reject God because they prefer a relationship with their own lust more than they prefer a relationship with God. That's only point one. I'm exhausted already, aren't you? Just unbelievable. Number two, God will allow indecent perversions to grow. You suppress the truth. You reject it. You replace it. This is the second thing that God is telling these Christians in Rome will happen. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust with one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversions. The people in in Rome that Paul was writing to didn't need any explanation of this verse, okay? Rome at this time was totally corrupt. It's believed that 14 of the first 15 Caesars were probably homosexuals. Someone once said, when people blow off or forsake the author of nature, they eventually blow off or forsake the order of nature. And I think that's true. When you look at the male and female bodies, you you can't miss, number one, that there's a God. I talked last week about the eyeball. You just... You know, it's it's crazy. There's got to be a God. Somebody put this together. I mean, somebody built this watch, obviously. Somebody made this thing. This didn't create itself. Somebody made this, obviously. I mean, it's just obvious. God's made himself obvious. You just can't miss the fact. But also, when you look at a male body and a female body, they just kind of go together, don't they? Kind of like there was a God who thought it all through. You can't miss that. Now I realize that today, like 2,000 years ago, people work really hard to suppress the truth, reject it, which leads them to replace the truth. And in our society today, there's been a lot of replacing of the truth, especially as it relates to homosexuality. A lot of replacing of the truth. 
It's one thing to suppress it. That happened for a lot of years in our country. I think it happened for a lot of years in Rome. They suppressed it. I think there was a lot of time when this country just rejected God's truth. We're now in a country that hasn't done the first two. Strike one, strike two, we've just swung and missed. It's strike three. We've now replaced the truth. It's one thing to suppress it. It's another thing to reject it. But we've actually entered into a time where it has been replaced. The truth about God has been replaced. It's been replaced in a lot of pulpits. Unfortunately. Let me just say this. The Bible is crystal clear as it relates to homosexuality. It's a sin. Is it the unpardonable sin? No. God has a whole lot more to say about gluttony, not being able to control yourself and keep putting a fork in your mouth and eating too much than he does about homosexuality. But make no mistake about it. It's a sin. And it's okay if you disagree with me. I'm tolerant of your belief. You, you can disagree with what I just said. You can disagree with what the scriptures teach. I, I'm a, I get it. But you've ended up here today, you're watching online or whatever, and I'm just doing my best because we're a church that believes the Bible, the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible. We believe in the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. It just so happens that this is where the text led me today. So I just have to tell you what the scriptures teach. Now I realize you can have somebody who says that's not true. I was, I was born that way. I'm not gonna argue with you. You can have a million people who say I was born that way. Okay. I, I, I'm not gonna argue with you. You say, a million of you say, 10 million of you say, a billion people say you're born that way. And I've got God's word right here. It doesn't matter whether it's one, a hundred, a billion. I'm gonna believe what the scriptures teach than what you tell me about your life. This, it's not a majority rules. This is the majority, if you will. You know what I'm saying? So I don't argue that point. I just don't. The scriptures are crystal clear. In both the Old and New Testament, God condemns it. In fact, in the Old Testament, it was punishable by, by death. So were some other things, by the way. And in the New Testament, you find all kinds of references about it. Look, anybody who attempts to justify the homosexual lifestyle is just misguided. And I know next week there'll be a few less people in here because of that statement. Now what I'm gonna say next is really important. You need to pay close attention. When you have a loved one, you know, that's trapped in this lifestyle, your flesh wants to somehow ease the pain. 
You've got a son or a daughter. You've got a mom or a dad. You've got a good friend, an aunt or an uncle. There's somebody that you love deeply. And they've said, you know, since the moment I was born, you know, I, I, I've, I've had these same sex attractions or whatever. Boy, that's someone you love. That's someone you care about. You, you want to ease the pain. Enter Satan. He's made sure that there are all kinds of organizations that you as parents of homosexuals can join, uh, not to help your children become free of this unnatural desire, but to band you together, to put pressure on the government, or to put pressure on society, or to put pressure on school systems, to put pressure on churches, to put pressure on guys like me, to coerce them to recognize homosexuality as normal and thus you know, make us all accept it as okay. Because if you can accomplish this, you're gonna feel better about what your kids or your loved ones are into. And we certainly see that today. Yesterday, uh, or Friday, I just posted that I was gonna speak on this topic. Oh, uh, no, the, just the scriptures. Romans 1, 24 through 32. That's all I said. Hey, I got a message I'm preaching on this text. That's all I said. Nothing more. And I had a few people who private messaged, messaged me who were trying to coerce me not to do it. They hadn't even heard the message yet. I'm sure they're gonna be really thrilled now. I mean, I mean, all they knew was I was gonna read the text and no, you can't do that. You know, God was a God of love and this and that and you're a hater and you're a whatever. And unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians and churches that either A, they're just gonna make sure they never talk about it because they don't wanna hurt anybody's feelings they don't want anybody to like them, not to like them or whatever. Now, I know that there are some good organizations out there that are dedicated to being a blessing to moms and dads and kids whose loved ones are in those lifestyles. I'm not saying that they're all out there to coerce the government and the school system and all of these entities to recognize it as okay. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about those that are trying to legitimize the sin. Or to ease the pain, you can easily begin to believe some of the bogus thoughts that are out there concerning homosexuality that, you know, you're, you're, you're as I said, born a homosexual. You're no more born a homosexual than you are being born a thief or a murderer or an adulterer, according to God's word. Some people want you to believe that it's a sickness or a disease Beloved, it's not a sickness. God would never condemn a sickness. He wouldn't do it. It's a choice, pure and simple. It's a learned behavior, and I know for a fact that it can be unlearned. There are people right here, maybe in this service. There was last hour, and I know there's a number in the next hour, who they unlearned the behavior. Now, that's something that the news will never report. but they're right here. The power of the gospel, the power of Jesus Christ entered their life. Now, it's not an easy thing. 
Getting over alcohol is not an easy thing. Being angry and trying to overcome, that's not easy. It's not an easy thing. It's something that maybe they'll struggle with their entire lives, which is okay. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's an easy thing. But there are people right here in this church, and I'll bet there are people in every church where the power of the gospel transformed their life, their thinking. Now, is homosexuality the unpardonable sin? No, it's not. And if you're out there and you're struggling with this and you're here, maybe you don't agree, but you go, man, there's something within me that's telling me maybe what I'm into is wrong. Here's all you gotta do. You call the church, call Pastor Scott Miller, Paul, call Pastor Scott Stubbert. It's all confidential. And just say, hey, listen, I, I don't know if I agree with the preaching this weekend, but I, I, can I talk to you? Or maybe you do agree with it and you're struggling, and just call, no one's gonna know. And just start meeting with them. We have a number of folks that our CR team meets with that are struggling with this, a number of them. Praise the Lord. Are they cured? Maybe not, but they're wrestling around with it. And praise God for that. You call those numbers, you call those men, and I'll tell you right now, you're gonna find people who love you because God loves you, and because God loves you, we love you. And, and last but not least, uh, God will allow irrational practices to grow. You, you suppress the truth, you reject the truth, and then you replace it the third thing is, is that God will allow irrational practices to grow. This little section here, verses 18 through 31, J. Vernon McGee calls Cinerama. Just all these sins he lists. It's not crazy. And I want you to know, at this time, uh, at the time that this was written in Rome, if a man didn't like, you know, his slave, or for whatever reason, he could just, just kill him. It was a really crummy culture to live in in Rome at this moment. If a woman had a baby in Rome, because they didn't have all the abortion clinics like they do here, if a, if a woman had a baby and she didn't want the baby, I wanted a boy, I got a girl, she could just throw it out on the street. And literally, secular um, historians, not Christian historians, secular historians have recorded, you could be walking down the streets of Rome at any given moment and you could find just dead babies laying out on the street. Isn't that sick? I, there's not a person in here that would say that's not sick. But things haven't changed. We just don't throw the babies out on the curbs anymore. We just suck them into a sink. Things haven't changed. We just don't allow them to be thrown out on the curbs like they did in Rome. This letter was written 2,000 years ago. A little less than 2,000 years ago. And you read it and you go, wow. God could have had Paul pin that letter to us. Now as I wrap this up, verse 32 says, although they know God's righteous decrees, those that do such things deserve death, they, they not only continue to do these things, but then they also approve of those who practice it, 
Now here's the deal, that word approved right there actually means applaud. In other words, rather than be ashamed of gross thinking and sinful actions, people actually approve of it or they applaud the evil. That's what happens in a culture. You finally get to that point and people will go, yeah, woo, evil. And you might think to yourself, well, America's not like that. You're wrong. Just watch the Academy Awards. You get these great movies like Titanic. I'm the king of the world! And it's all about immorality. It's not about a boat sinking. It's about immorality. Yeah! Oscar! Woo! I'd like to thank the Academy for voting for me. I'd like to thank my mother and father for having me. I just want to thank you for writing a great script about immorality. Thank you. And we as a culture applaud just sinful stuff. We give awards out to musicians that sing about some of the most vile things. Just watch the Grammys this year and look at our culture. We'll actually roll out red carpets for those that are all into immorality and sin and debauchery. And there they come. We're taking pictures of them. We're giving them awards. Verse 32 is America today. Yes, it was happening in Rome. But it's happening here. We just do it differently. This might be one of the most depressing sections of scripture in the entire Bible. I went home last night, I was just depressed. I'm not kidding. Got home, sat down. I thought, man, I got, I got a couple months of this to go <laughs> before we get through this first section. Paul doesn't pull any punches, does he? It gives us a pretty bleak picture of what it was like in Rome at the time, and it's certainly America today. I don't know how you could argue against it. Now, obviously, we have a lot more freedoms than we do today than they did in Rome at the time. But you can, you can see similarities in our culture. Man isn't getting any better. He's just getting worse. God puts Adam and Eve in the garden and they sin <laughs> and it's been downhill ever since. Oh, there are some blips, I think, of some good things. But wow. Paul in Romans 1, 2, and 3 just builds this case of how goofed up we are because of sin. Now, I can't end on this depressing note because Paul is gonna say this in Romans chapter five. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners. Crummy, crummy sinners. We had suppressed the truth. We had rejected it. Some, we replaced it. God still loved us. And he sent his son to die for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? 
And I want you to look at those last four words there. Saved from God's wrath. You see, God has a right to be angry at people. There's a reason why, and Paul is letting us know, but the good news is, is that we can be saved from it. You can be saved from it right now, over in the venue, in here, watching online, listening on the radio. You can be saved from it simply through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the gospel, because he has the power to cleanse you of your sin. God says nobody's hopeless. It doesn't matter how low you go. Our text says, <laughs> listen, listen, and I'll end with this. Our text doesn't say God gave up on them. It says God gave them over. And every one of us who names the name of Christ in here, we could stand up and give testimony to the fact that God never gave up on us, right? Never. He may have given us over, but there came a moment when we received his son and we were spared from the wrath of God. And you might be here, you can walk into the venue over in the altar, over in the venue, or you can walk into our altar room and our elders will be there to be a blessing to you. Lead you in a prayer. Just stand up, stand up over in the venue. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time, and uh, I just pray for our children's workers right now. God, I'm grateful that they're being a blessing. We're way over time, God. I pray, God, that as we leave this place, we leave here with a great deal of love in our hearts, not only for you, God, for saving us from your wrath, but we'd have love in our hearts for those that are lost. You loved us when we were lost and you call us to be like you. May a thousand people leave this building today and go out and love. I pray these things in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, listen, run and get your kids real quick. Go get them, go get them. Don't stop fellowship, go get your kids.